Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Gospel of John, chapter 11. We are continuing our time in this very rich and very full chapter. And we turn now to the second episode of this chapter in verses 17 through 27. The arrival. John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Give attention to God's holy word. So when Jesus came, he found that he had been dead in, uh, he had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered once again this evening to be fed upon your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would not only strengthen our bodies and give us energy to attend diligently to your word, but you primarily would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that by faith we might appropriate your word to ourselves. And in so laying hold of your word, we might persevere. We ask all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as you have been told multiple times, I used to play football. And one time when I was a young football player, I was about 15, 16 years old, uh, I was on the junior varsity team. And if you know how it works in public school, there's junior varsity and varsity. Varsity are the big boys. They are usually the seniors, sometimes the juniors, very seldomly the sophomores, who make it up to that level. At the time, I was on the junior varsity squad, which meant I was one of the best of the young bucks. And in, there was a game being played. It was a varsity game. And I remember uh, one of my coaches came up to me. It was near the end of the game, fourth quarter. It's one of those moments in a football game where you know who won, but there's about three minutes left on the clock, and you have to just play out the rest of this. What often happens at those times is the coaches will put in the second string or the third string. So the coach tapped my shoulder, a JV kid, said, I want you to go out there and play with the big boys. Now, when he said this to me, I was very nervous because 16-year-old kid, junior varsity, you look up to the varsity players, they're 18 years old, they're practically fully grown men at that point, and they were big boys. So I went out there, I played middle linebacker, and he put me out there for one play. I, I took the block, I got off the block, and I made a tackle. 
I stopped the guy. He got about two yards down the field. So I did my job, got off. And the coach said to me, well done. I knew you could do it. And that's why he put me out there. You see, when coaches or fathers or leaders of any kind are developing someone into maturity, they often will give them opportunities to show what they can do. Not because the coach or the leader doubts what they can do, but to give them an opportunity to show what they can do and to show what they can accomplish for their edification. When I got off of the field after making that tackle against a varsity tailback, all of my JV buddies were slapping me on the shoulder saying, wow, that was really cool. And my confidence was through the roof. Well, God our Father is a very wise coach, as it were. He's a very wise leader. And as a good father and as a wise father, he wants to build us up. He wants to build up our confidence in his son. Now, because God is much more than a football coach, because he is indeed the governor of heaven and earth, God will create opportunities in your life to display the strength of your faith. God, in his providence, will provide opportunities for you to display the strength of your faith. Now, these opportunities come to us in the form of trial and tribulation. God the Father in His providence will often send trials into His people's lives. He'll send suffering into His people's lives. He'll send extreme hardship, like we're about to read, the death of a beloved brother into his people's life, but within that context, it becomes an opportunity for his people to display the strength of their faith. And the way that God the Father does this, the way that God the Father encourages and strengthens the faith of his people is in the same way that he gave them faith through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the trials of this life, God the Father provides an opportunity for his people to commune more intimately with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in communing with the Lord Jesus Christ, their faith is strengthened. God the Father provides opportunities for His people to commune with the Lord Jesus Christ, and in communing with Him, their faith is strengthened. That's what we're going to see in this passage. We're going to see first the opportunity in verses 17 through 18. We're going to see the communion, verses 20 through 26, and then we're going to see the strengthening in verse 27. Verses 17 and 18 is the opportunity. Verses 20 through 26 is the communion. And verse 27 is the strengthening. Now, before we get into the the details of this passage, just remember the context of John chapter 11 as a whole. We noted the last time that I was with you 
John chapter 11 is broken into five episodes, five sort of scenes that the truth of the entire chapter is displayed. And remember, the purpose of this chapter is found in verse 4. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The last time that we were together, we found that in the first episode, the Son was glorified as the center of God's providence. Christ reads this providence, he receives the diagnosis, and he recognizes that even though this man is sick, the purpose of this sickness is not for him to die, but it's for Christ to be glorified. Now we move to this next episode, and in, in uh, uh, one last thing I forgot to mention, each of the episodes center around one other character that's named in the episode. In the first episode, it's Thomas the Apostle, doubting Thomas as it were. At the end of that episode in verse 16, Thomas is confused about this providence. He doesn't understand what's going on. And he says, oh well, let's go with Christ so we can die with him. In this episode, the named individual is Martha. Martha is the one that Christ is going to interact with. And Martha represents for us those with a strong faith. You know the sisters Mary and Martha come up constantly throughout the Gospels. The famous episode is that Martha was uh, cleaning up all the fellowship meal dishes and she was busied about cleaning up the house. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and Martha says, Lord, tell her to help me. And the Lord says, she's chosen the better part. That's not going to be taken away from her. Probably Martha is the older sister. Martha is probably, she may even be the firstborn child, a very uh, A-type personality. She's doing all the chores, and she wants her younger sister to contribute to the, the list of chores that needs to be done. Well, Martha is probably the older sister, but you see in this chapter, she's also the sister with a stronger and more stable faith. And we're going to see that as Christ interacts with her. But first we find the opportunity that God the Father creates. Verse 17, so when Jesus came, he came to the town of Bethany, he found that he had been dead, uh, he had already been in the tomb for four days. You know, when my football coach put me into a game with big boys, it was a little unsettling. Sometimes when God the Father brings trial into our lives, it's very unsettling. This brother was a beloved brother of these two sisters. This was a very intimate family. They had close communion with one another. There was great peace and harmony in this home. And this beloved brother is now gone. He's been dead for four days. But notice that in the midst of this trial, Christ is coming. Christ is making himself near in the midst of this trial. When Jesus came, he found out that he had been dead. Uh, he'd been in the tomb for four days. John goes on to describe this opportunity for Martha. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. 
Now, now here's the opportunity that God the Father has created. This beloved brother who was sick, Christ knew that he was sick. He received the diagnosis four or five days ago when he was still alive. And, and Christ, because the Father's glory was at stake, chose to delay. He, he chose to stay back and wait for this event to happen. Not only has this brother died, but notice that these, these Jews, probably friends of the family, religious Jews, the, the best of first century Judaism is, is what you see here. They're, they're coming around Martha and Mary to comfort them, and so there's this whole crowd of their friends and relations comforting them and trying to encourage them. A couple of things from this. First, those that are members of the church receive the help of the church in the midst of these trials. You know, it's, it's often the case that the church that we came from in Georgia was uh, legendary, maybe putting it too strongly, but was very well known for helping people move. And if, if you've ever moved, without help, you know what a great burden that is. You have to pack up the house and figure out how to get it all in the truck and then go to the next place and take it all out of the truck oftentimes on your own. Well, that church, whenever somebody would move, they would bring all the young men, all of the varsity and junior varsity football players to carry the boxes and the furniture. And the the help of the body was one of the greatest encouragements to the people that were moving because it lightens the load. Likewise, in this context, Mary and Martha have lost a brother. And the church comes around them to comfort and to encourage them. Many of you have experienced this in your lives. When you've suffered loss, when you've been in a trial, and you needed help, the church was there around you to support and to encourage you. Let me just encourage you as the church of the Lord Jesus, somebody in your life, somebody in this church, is probably going through a trial. They're probably bearing a burden you're not aware of. But when you are made aware of it, that's an opportunity for you to be the hands and feet of Christ. To go to them and to comfort them and to encourage them. This is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, Let every man not think on his own things, but think on the things of others. Just as the Jews are doing here with Martha and Mary. But, the help of the church is not enough. The help of the church by itself is not really what Martha needs, and that's not the whole point of this trial. Notice that it's all these Jews who have gathered around them to comfort them concerning their brother. Christ has come near, and there's more that is needed. You know, it's, it's often when we get into trials and, and tribulations, if we have a good church body, they, they will come around us, support us, comfort us, whatever it might be, help us. And it, it can be tempting to think, that's all that I needed. I only needed the fellowship of the body, the fellowship of brothers and sisters. But that's not enough for the soul. That's not really the opportunity that God is creating for you. If you are going through a trial, the help of the body is good, and the help of the body is available to you, but that's not all that you need. Notice what Martha does in verse 20. 
she communes with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. This is a very interesting way that John writes this narrative. Christ comes, he arrives in the town of Bethany, but he hasn't gotten to their house yet. He's not in the midst of this crowd of Jews. He's simply on his way. As soon as Mary hears that Jesus is near, she gets up and goes to him. She enters into communion with Christ. Now, one of the ways that I'm, that I'm reading this gospel narrative, and I think one of the ways we have to read the gospel narratives as a whole, may be new to some of you. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ interacting in the Gospels, you have to remember who He is. He is God incarnate. And so the things that Jesus is doing, the way that He's interacting, where He goes and what He does and the way that He does it, is an illustration for us, a living illustration of how Jehovah deals with His people. And in this narrative, Jehovah, in the person of Jesus, comes near and Martha goes out to meet him. Martha goes to commune with Christ. But Mary was sitting in the house. We're going to get to Mary in the next episode, but just notice that John has told us Mary is remaining in the house. Very interesting, the reversal of roles, isn't it? Before, when there was a feast going on, Martha was the one busy in the house and Mary was the one at the feet of Jesus. Now a trial has come and Mary is staying in the house and Martha goes out to Jesus. What you are today, the spiritual affections that you have today, the spiritual habits that you have today, may not always be the same. Sometimes God will send a trial to test you and to show you what you're really like. Now, I don't think we need to come down on Mary too hard here. It's just an interesting reversal of roles, isn't it? We often think of Mary as the one who always goes to Christ. But in this episode, the roles are reversed. Martha goes to him immediately. Well, Martha goes, Mary stays in the house, and Martha says to the Lord, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now notice that when Martha approaches Christ, she is in his presence, she begins communing with him, and she gives him her heart. She lets it out very honestly and very frankly with him. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, isn't this often what we find ourselves asking in prayer? When trials come into our life, someone dies, someone gets sick, difficulties arise, whatever it may be, we find ourselves asking, why? If you had been here, this would not have happened. If you had been here, this car wreck wouldn't have happened. If you wanted to, you could have prevented this sickness. And Martha asks this of Christ Very honestly, we're going to see in the episode of Mary, she's going to ask the same question. But notice the difference with Martha. Martha has a strong faith. 
And that strength of faith is shown in her submission to this providence. Look at what she says. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Notice that she doesn't stay in the complaint. An honest complaint, an honest question to the Lord, but she returns to a stability of faith, the strength of her faith. This has happened. It hurts. I don't like this. You could have prevented this, Lord, but I know that you're still in control. I know that you are still able to do whatever it is that you want to do. I know that you are still sovereign and ruling over this. We're going to get further on into this, but but at this point, I just want to encourage your hearts with trials that you may be going through and, and what the Lord might be doing in your life. I can't tell you all the details of of what the Lord is doing in your life, whether or not there's a sin you committed and He's chastening you as a father, or He's simply testing you like He's doing with Mary and Martha here. I don't know all those details of your life. But I do know one thing. He's providing you an opportunity to commune with Christ more intimately. He's providing you an opportunity to pour your heart out to Christ more honestly just as Martha does here. And in the midst of our trials, isn't this the the, the comforting thing that we need? It's nice to have friends and family around us. That's a good thing to have friends and family around us. But it's even more precious to know that the Lord is near to us, that the Lord is with us, and that He receives us in His Son. You know, one of the most comforting psalms about trial and tribulation walking through the valley of the shadow of death, just as Mary and Martha are here, it contains that very precious promise, doesn't it? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. You are here in the midst of this trial. Brothers and sisters, I cannot emphasize this enough. In the midst of your trials, God is nearer than you will ever realize. He's, uh, as it were, removing the goods of this life. He's removing the good things of this creation so that your eyes can be fixed more fully on the chief good of your existence, on the chief good of creation, which is the glory of God. That's what Martha is doing here. She's communing with Christ. But let me also encourage you. You have to go. You have to go to Christ. It may require you to leave the crowd and get alone with Christ, just as Martha does. It may require you, if the emotion and the trial is such, to tell friends and family, I need time to pray and to pour out my heart to the Lord before I can do any more of this. But you have to go to Him. How do we go to Christ? You see, sometimes I think, well, we we know that the, the disciples, at the end of the Gospel accounts, when Christ is about to depart from them, they don't want Him to go. 
They don't want him to be taken away from them. Because in the gospel narratives, they had Jehovah physically present as a man right in front of them. They had Jehovah so near to them physically that John, the beloved apostle, can lay his head on the breast of Christ. That's how close he was bodily. But as Christ is leaving, he tells them, it's good for you that I go away. It's good for you that I depart because when I depart, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will give you the Comforter who will be with you wherever you go. You see, Christ is in heaven now. We can't go to Him like Martha did. We have to commune with Him by the Spirit. We have to commune with Him through the means of the Spirit. And one of the chief means for this kind of communion is prayer. Turn with me to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. One of the most precious psalms to me, and I hope by God's grace it will become a precious psalm to you. Notice that the psalmist is writing this and he's giving expression to the strength of his faith. And that faith leads him to commune with God. Notice what he writes. Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Even if my brother dies. Even if my child dies. Even if I die, I will trust in Him. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers and under His wings you shall take refuge. You know, Jehovah is described here like a, a, a mother hen or, or a mother goose. You've ever seen a, a, a hen with her chicks and when the hawk starts circling around looking for a snack, the mother hen grabs the chicks under her wings and protects them all under her own wings. That's how the Lord is being described. That's how the Lord is to you. When you put your trust in Him, He shields you from the trial. He shields you from breaking under despair, under the shadow of His wings. David goes on, probably David, it might be Moses. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, Lest you dash your foot against a stone, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The young lion and the serpent shall trample you underfoot. 
Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Now notice, the psalmist departs from the metaphors and gets to the reality here. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Lord, why? And Jehovah will answer. I with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Notice what the psalmist says here about prayer. Those who trust in the Almighty, when the plague and the pestilence is ravaging the land, and those who trust in the Lord go to the Lord in prayer and call upon the Lord, the Lord says, I will answer him and I will be with him through the means of prayer. Through the means that God has appointed. The Hebrew is very evocative here in verse 15. Your, your Bible might say, I will be with him. If it has the words will be, those are italics. That means they're not in the original Hebrew. Which means in the Hebrew it simply says, I with him in trouble. Grammatically, you can't get any closer. I with him in trouble through prayer. Brothers and sisters, God is presenting himself to you in your trials. He comes near to you in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises you that the plague and the pestilence shall not touch your house. Now you may ask, it touched Lazarus. It touched Mary and Martha's house. How can this promise be true? Because of what it says at the end of the psalm. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, what is the Lord's salvation? Return to John chapter 11. Christ answers Martha. Just like he said he would in Psalm 91. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus answered, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What Psalm 91 is getting at and what Christ is getting at is that through His work on the cross, atoning for our sins, He has taken the sting of death away by removing sin and guilt and wrath. All of the outward evils of this life for God's people are no longer evil. Because He has redeemed you from being evil, no evil is afflicted upon you. Because He has made you good in His sight through the work of His Son, everything that happens in your life is for your good. Just as He said of Lazarus, 
Lazarus, this sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Let me, let me put it this way. For those that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are still in their sins, cancer is the foreshadowing of hell. Cancer is the reminder that they are mortal and their sins will require judgment. For those that do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have had their sins forgiven, cancer is an opportunity to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ once again. That's what Christ is saying, that even though they die, they shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. Their soul shall never perish in hell forever. That's what Psalm 91 is talking about. I will give him long life. In Hebrew, that phrase, long life, is often used to describe eternal life. And so what the Lord is saying in Psalm 91 is that the, the comfort and the solution in all of your trials is that through Jehovah's mercy in the Lord Jesus, He will give you eternal life and show you His salvation. What is Jehovah's salvation? Resurrection from the dead. Deliverance from the punishments of sin in this life. God through Christ defeats death itself. And He will show you His salvation. So Martha communes with Christ. She goes to Him in prayer in the midst of her trials and Christ answers her. He speaks to her bodily because He's present bodily. But notice what He speaks to her. He doesn't just give her um, comfort and consolation in a generic sense. That's what the Jews from Jerusalem are doing. Christ speaks to her the word of the gospel. Christ speaks to her the benefits of the gospel and the benefactor of the gospel. Benefactor is a word that simply means somebody who does good. Benefit is a good that somebody does. So we receive benefits from a benefactor. Christ reminds her of the benefits, eternal life, and the one who gives us those benefits, Christ himself. Notice what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Christ does exactly what the author of Hebrews does in chapter 3. We, we looked at it this morning. Consider Christ. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Consider the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christ is interacting with Martha, he says, consider me. I am the resurrection and the life. This, as we saw this morning, is a summary of the teaching of the Scriptures. And here's the second way that we commune with Christ. We commune with Him in the midst of our trials through prayer, and we commune with Him in the midst of our trials through His Word, through the words of the Scriptures. You know, if you've ever been through a trial in your life, you know that the Psalms are often one of the best places to go when we're going through trials. In the Psalms, we find every single shade 
of Christian experience. We find every single emotion, triumph on the heights of Zion and despair in the depths of the abyss, all throughout the Psalms. There's one Psalm in particular that I want to point your attention to. It's a Psalm that is perhaps often neglected because it is so dark. It is the darkest psalm in the entire Psalter. This psalm has no words of comfort, at least outwardly. There's no expression on the psalmist's part that he's found relief. Often you'll find in the psalms, David is complaining before the Lord, and then he'll say, you've heard my prayer. I've been delivered from my enemies. Praise the Lord at the end of the psalm. In this psalm, there is none of that. It's all despair, and it's all complaint, and it's all pleading with the Lord to hear his prayer. We're not going to read the entire psalm, but I'm referring to Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is the darkest psalm in the Psalter, but I want to encourage you. This psalm is very dark. This psalm is very honest. And this psalm is recorded in Holy Scripture. Now, what does that mean? It's recorded in Holy Scripture. Well, it means that the author was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It means that when the author wrote this, the Holy Spirit was right there at his shoulder, looking over the page as he scribbled every word on the page. And, and the Holy Spirit was present listening to this prayer even though he didn't receive an answer at least one that's not recorded but the Holy Spirit was listening to this prayer and this prayer was so precious to the Holy Spirit that he preserved it and kept it in the scriptures for your edification just a couple of things to notice about this psalm notice that it's called a song by the way if your Bible doesn't have the title of this psalm in it, you should get a new Bible. The, the titles of the psalms are a part of Holy Scripture. They often help us interpret Holy Scripture. In this one, the title, it says it's a song, a psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musician set to Mahalath Leonoth. Now that's a $5 Hebrew word. But what it means is that it is a psalm for the afflicted. In Hebrew, that's what this, this phrase means. It's for the afflicted, especially Leonoff. It's for the afflicted. A contemplation of Haman, the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. We're only going to look at verse 1 because we're looking at John 11, not Psalm 88. But... Notice a couple of things here. First, this psalm is written for those that are afflicted. Isn't this often the, the thing that's most encouraging to you when you're afflicted? It's that somebody's listening and somebody understands. Somebody hears you and somebody understands what you're going through. That's why Haman the Ezraite recorded this. He wanted the people of God to know that the Holy Spirit is listening. He understands 
And other saints have gone through these same things. But notice how he prays. O Lord, God of my salvation. In Hebrew, this word, uh, this phrase, God of my salvation, is one Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is Yeshuati. In Hebrew, that's the word. Yeshuati. Now, I hope that sounds like another name to you. Yeshua, which is the Hebrew form of Jesus. Jesus' name means the Lord saves, the Lord's salvation. And so quite literally, this psalmist is praying by faith in Jesus, the Lord's salvation. Now, it's according to the Old Testament images. It's according to the Old Testament administration. But he is trusting in the Lord's salvation. And so he goes to him in his trials. He goes to him in his afflictions, and he pours out his heart to him. Well, in Psalm 11, uh, Psalm 11, uh, John 11, Martha has poured out her heart to the Lord. The Lord has answered her with the word of the gospel. And in the word of the gospel, he has taught her more fully who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is one of the famous I am statements in the Gospel of John. And it's at this point that Christ opens Martha's eyes to understand this. In your trials, as you go to the Lord in Scripture and in prayer, He's going to unfold for you more of His benefits, more of His glories. You know, when I was a young Christian, the thing that I could not get over was that God forgave me of my sins. That was just the greatest news in the world. It's still great news, but that was the only thing I could think about and talk about. God forgave me. My sins are cleansed. Because you see, at that time in my life, God showed me that part of himself, that he forgives me of my sins. Later on, as you mature as a Christian, that doesn't go away, but you learn more about what God is like. You find out that he is... uh, the everlasting God, that He never changes, even though things in your life might be changing and being turned upside down. You might find out that God really is the governor of the world and that in His providence, He can feed you and you don't need to worry because He feeds the sparrows. Perhaps He's shown that to you in the midst of a trial. All of these things come out and God is providing an opportunity for your faith to be strengthened in his son. Notice what the last thing is that Christ says to Martha. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Christ asks the question of Martha in the midst of this trial, in the midst of her communion with him, he leaves her with a question. Now sometimes when we're questioned, We get nervous because we're afraid. We may not know the answer. Uh, We we, we may not know what to say. We, We may not know the motives of the person asking the question. But often when the Lord asks us questions, he's catechizing us. Just like you catechize your children. When you ask your son or daughter, what is the chief end of man? Your motive is not to put them on the spot. It's not to shame them. 
It's not to expose where they're weak, but it's to give them an opportunity to show what they know. Likewise, Christ is giving Martha an opportunity. He's catechizing her. Do you believe this, Martha? And Martha responds in faith. Look at what she says. She says to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is come into the world. You see how Martha's faith is strengthened in the midst of this trial. Her brother has died. She's confused as to why. She knows that Christ can do whatever he wants. She knows that he's in control. And through her union and communion with Christ, her faith is strengthened more and more. So at the end of this episode, she can say with confidence, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who is to come into the world. Notice the phraseology of this statement. It's almost identical to Peter's confession in Matthew 16. When Christ is quizzing the apostles, who do men say that I am? Peter comes with a bold statement of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Martha has the exact same confession here. In the Gospels, when this confession is phrased this way, this is a, it's a statement of very confident faith, and it's a statement of assured faith. And Martha makes this statement at the midst of this trial. Brothers and sisters, for some of you it may be the fourth quarter. And often in the fourth quarter, if, if the game is being played and the score is close, the trials and tribulations can come hard and fast. One of my professors in seminary um, recently lost his wife. Some of you know him. His name's Tony Curto. And they're, they're in their 60s. I think he may be approaching 70. And they're in the fourth quarter of their life. And they had just gotten done reading the Puritans, and especially some of the Puritan authors that talked about trials and how God will often send more difficult trials as you reach the end of your race. But the reason he sends those difficult trials at the end is to provide these kind of opportunities, to provide an opportunity for you to strengthen your faith and to show your faith is strong. She died in faith, and Dr. Curdo, though I know he misses his wife, is marvelously encouraged in the faith. I mean, if you talk to him about it, it it's, a, it's a bit astounding how encouraged he is that she is with the Lord and that Christ loves them and that he's working in their life. This brings us to the final conclusion of why he gives us this opportunity. You see, when my coach put me into the varsity game, he not only wanted me to, to show the team, to show him what I could do, to show myself what I could do on the football field, he, he also gave an example to the other JV players. He, he also said, look, this guy is just like you. He's on the JV squad. He went up to varsity. You also can go up to varsity. And so often, the Lord will send us trials to strengthen our own faith, but your faith becomes a witness to the people around you. It becomes a testimony to the people around you that, wow, the gospel really is true. Look at how they're dealing with this. 
Look at how Martha is, is even keeled in the midst of this. Because Christ has strengthened her because she's been with Jesus and fed upon his word. Brothers and sisters, you also go to Christ. Commune with him in prayer. Commune with him in the scriptures. Pour out your heart to him, for he is the God of your salvation who will protect you under the shadow of his wings. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks for the word of the gospel that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that they who believe in him will never die. We pray you would feed us on this truth and strengthen our faith for there are many evils in this life, many evils that are increased by our lack of faith. We pray that you would strengthen us even as you strengthen Martha through the means of grace, prayer, and the scriptures. We ask that you would do this all for the glory of your Son and the glory of your own name, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.